Hello and welcome to the Tournament Poker Project. My name's John. And I'm Tang. And we are two recreational players all the way from Essex, England. And this is our journey to get good enough at poker to uh, feel like we can compete in the World Series of Poker. Right, Tang? That's right, yep. Um, it's on at the moment. And some of the studying I've been doing is actually quite related to our journey and our final destination. Um, so basically, I've been reading, um, not reading, I've been listening to Purposeful Poker Practice, Purposeful Practice for Poker, sorry, okay. um, by Tricia Cardner and Gareth James. Um, so basically, I wanted, I've been listening to too many audio, uh, too many podcasts, and I've kind of exhausted all the content that I wanted to listen to on strategy. Mm-hmm. So this is something I can listen to on my journey that's poker related but it's detached enough that i don't need to be looking at like range charts and formulas and things like that so instead i'm trying to improve the time that i am studying and practicing and doing things so one of the things that i'm learning about is outcome orientated goals so obviously our our main goal is get to the world series but breaking that down into a few smaller outcomes some milestones and then looking at the processes that we need to get there now obviously it's fairly straightforward having a few milestones on the journey to get to the world series but the thing that really stood out to me stuck out to me is part of my adhd and it also comes up in the book is that sometimes if i don't achieve the goal that i'd set myself on the journey to the greater thing my mind can then have a kind of an abandonment. All right, that didn't work. I have to abandon it. And I either throw it all in and try to start again completely, or I don't approach it for ages. You know, like for instance, I'll have like a month off of poker because I'm like, that nope, didn't do it. Throw, throw yeah, my toys out. Yeah, I know that feeling. Exactly. And one of the things they're really clear on is having multiple different goals for the exact same outcome. And trying to get your mind in the segment of, you know, my goal is going to be different to your goal. So if my goal fails for whatever reason, look at other people's goals and try to use them. Essentially, that will become okay. a different goal. And then it yeah. should help continue my motivation. So for the listeners, I gave John some homework. Yeah, I've said some homework. Can you can you put together some of your goals? on our way to the World Series, I've got some of mine, and I'm kind of interested to see how similar or different they are. I reckon they're going to be different. I reckon they're going to be really different because mine are, yeah. Go on, well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do yours first or should I go? Do one each first. Let's do, let's pop it off one, 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 you, you me, you, me. All right. Not that way. All right, my first goal then, goal number I want to document and exercise a pre-tournament routine, which would include things like meditation, the right foods for the getting the right sugar levels, you know, slow burning. Um, and then a big part of it is going to be probably like a 30 to 60 minute drills session. And the drills will include things like going over the pre-flop charts, um, looking at post-flop C-betting, maybe sort of running through some hands and just drilling those for c betting and then same thing for in and out of position bet sizing exploits for different player types and different mistakes that kind of thing so success would look like i have a documented pre-tournament routine that i look forward to exercising before i play i have adapted and added into the routine over time and it and it is well tailored to me and has had a positive impact on my game, helping me focus, perform at my best, and enjoy playing. That's my number one. Brilliant. I mean, this couldn't have gone better, to be honest. Like, I'm okay. already, I'm already quite excited. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, my, not. I didn't know. I didn't know if that because you obviously you didn't give me any kind of steer on what type of goal, anything. It was just a outcome goal. Off you go. So I didn't know if that was going to be not really what you had in mind. If it needed to be a bit more. Um, even like maybe it's got to be something more to do with the result of your ROI or, you know, some sort of big win. But no, no, I'm, I'm glad that's uh, that's Good. not um, <laughs> that's not off the mark. 
Yeah, no, but this is exactly it. I, I, I did everything I could to give you the least amount of detail because I, the, the, I wanted it to be utterly, completely different. So yeah, okay. my first outcome is reach $500 bankroll playing micro stakes online and around 1,000K bankroll live. Um, so even though that K. sounds... So a million. Sorry? A thousand K. Oh, sorry, sorry. One K. <laughs> a thousand K. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Just get a million. We need to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So yeah, there's a lot of nuance. I've done it as, you know, abbreviated as I could, but there's a lot of nuance to that. So a big part right. of it is it has to be bankroll. And that means I have to have ground out that, that value. Mm. So... I can't achieve that 500 bankroll by playing tournament sit and goes that are above what the bankroll should be. And the, the reason I've got that there is basically I feel that our level is quite easily five to $10 sit and goes that we'd probably be fairly all right at that. Maybe not brilliant. Sometimes I'm terrible, but we can easily play them tournaments. But if I haven't got the bankroll for that, I want to be smashing the one the 25 cent tournaments so that I can have that I can look at that bankroll and say that bankroll wasn't five tournament wins in a row that was a hundred sit and goes that I had to cash in and out of them hundred you know 60 of them are cashed with 30 of them wins Uh, that that kind of it has to be a grind and I have to be in a place where I'm I need to move up both financially and skill level Um, so that's kind of where that is but yeah just 500 i don't know if it's both of them or one or the other but i've separated live from um online just because you, you normally play for more money on when you play live yeah 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 i think that's a good good idea okay well, yeah love that that's a good one should i fire away with number two yeah let's go number two for me so i want a list of subjects obviously poker subjects that covers the major need to knows in poker in a spreadsheet. Um, for example, ranges for each position would be a subject, board textures, three uh, bet sizing, three betting, you know, when to, when not, ranges, um, all in a list. And it's not just sitting there doing nothing. It's I've got like a routine where I'll mark on it when I've spent time studying one of those subjects. And then I'll use that spreadsheet to ensure that I revisit all the subjects and continue to go over them regularly. So the success for this this goal looks a bit like I have a spreadsheet that I've added to over time that covers all the major subjects I need to know to play my best poker. I regularly schedule time in to study and use the spreadsheet as a guide as to what I should study next. That's that's number two. Perfect. So you, I'm just making a note of these because it's really important that I'm I'm documenting oh, your side. I'll send this. I'll send these over to you. I'll send these over. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So this so my one and apologies that this is going to be really wordy compared to your one. Bink. 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 You want to bink? Bink. I need a bink. So again, this one's I've done the the fewest possible words to explain a lot more than that. So the idea of Bink isn't that I want a big win, even though that is what it means. It's that once I've reached the 500 bankroll online, I allow myself to step up to bigger tournaments using, say, 30 percent. Once I'm working above that $500, I'll allow myself the first 30 percent to just take little pop shots and eventually one of them pop shots will come to land and it's at that point that i want to make an educated smart decision about how you use that bigger money to shape my next pathway so for instance because it will be a bigger win than i'm that my than my bankroll maybe is entitled to do i shave off a quarter of it half of it and say that's going to be accommodation money kind of thing. So it's it's kind of, it's not a part of my bankroll. It's savings, essentially. I'm going to take that off as a, you know, my own profit. Or am I going to try to 
put it aside. So it's still a part of my bankroll, but it's not bankroll that I use as a figure to work out if I can afford to play a certain level or not. It's a separate little bundle. Um, just that kind of thing. And, it, and also, if I get too cocky, it's mindset. That was the, also the big mindset part of it. If I'm sitting there saying, saying to people, I don't know, I've just earned eight, eight grand, 20 grand, 50 grand. So whatever, whatever the bink is, am I going to feel like I'm, you know, walking with my legs wide apart because I'm John Wayne? Or am I going to take it as, no, I've, I've worked hard. This is kind of what I should be entitled to because I might have a massive downswing. Yeah, I mean, am I going to be assured about that? And that will really tell me if I'm actually going to, if I've got the right mindset to play at the World Series or if I'm still playing a bit amateur um if i'm still woohoo look at me i'm the best i'm gonna all on red <laughs> put it all exactly. on red <laughs> Bound to win. it's got to come in some point <laughs> yeah okay yeah i love that yeah decent all right um and my last one then short and sweet i want to play three multi-table tournaments per month online and two per month live so um on average oh and that's that's between starting august this year and then between august next year so by august next year success will look like i've played 36 online tournaments mtts and 24 live mtts since last august i.e next month next august nice and my one i mean this is the only one that's very very similar so my one was reach a 5k bankroll specifically grinding and by that i mean introducing as many multi-tables as i can still function properly with Mm -hmm. specifically playing for volume to lower variance and really setting my sights on how many hours can i do in a go like so it's basically shaping if i was to be a pro or a semi-pro or if i was to spend every living hour of my weekends playing poker what's my reasonable roi how how does adding more tables adding more hours change that until i get to a point where i basically know the sweet spot of my profit where i can comfortably work and then calculate how we get to vegas on the back of that Um, because that should be the point that we can say okay we know we need to spend the next six months where we really dedicate not every weekend, but we really dedicate like say one day a weekend, really trying to get the bankroll up. And if we do that at the right level, plan the right tournaments, by the by, I don't know, January, we can start booking tickets, that kind of thing. So it's it, again, this is well in the future and all that, but that's the idea that it's actually that's when it becomes trying to get into the semi-pro mindset. And it's not necessarily that I'll be a semi-pro. It's more how do they do it? What do they? How often do they practice? What kind of sessions are they putting in? Yeah. Okay. Love it. Mate. Take it from there. Yeah. So could you share those with me as well? Like you said, yeah, yours. I'll send. I'll send you mine. That's decent. Okay. All right. Well, great to have goals. I think that was a really good exercise to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm going to make a point of it. Obviously, I need to. I kind of got a bit lax with recording the tournaments I was playing, but I need to start recording those again to make sure I hit my goal number three. And oh yeah, I'm really excited to to start working on these two lists, really, this routine uh, with drills and whatnot, and also the list of subjects that I'll be studying regularly. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to delving into it. And I mean, the reason that this really works for the book, for the purposes of, you know, the purposeful practice that I'm getting from the book is that if I'm trying say I'm trying to get to five hundred dollars um, and I get to four hundred and thirty and then I have a massive downswing and all of a sudden I'm back down to two hundred. I might be sitting there thinking, OK, that was like a month's work gone. But instead of worrying and stressing about it, I can now completely give up on that and say you know what i'm going to spend the next two months documenting my pre-tournament routine because that's something i never would have thought to do and maybe it's my mindset and my you know i'm not meditating enough and i'm not exercising enough if i do that then let's have another look at the 500 hundred dollar goal 
Does that make sense? And that's all of a sudden yeah. I wouldn't have ever thought of that on my own. But now you've given that as an alternative. I've got separate goals that I can yeah, bounce okay. from. And they're out, yours are outside my normal comfort zone. And that's exactly how I need it. So, yeah, nice. purposeful practice. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, dude. So, should we jump into a hand? We should, indeed. That'd be brilliant. I've got one from a tournament. This was an eight-handed tournament. And I was pretty, pretty deep once again. This was, I think we were on the last three tables, something like that. I think there was like about 24, 23, 24 players left. So um, we are in the small blind. The blinds are 6,000, 12,000, and there is um, an ante as well. So the pot before any voluntary money has gone in is 28,500. It folds all the way round to us in the small blind. And we are holding ace of spades, six of clubs. Now, before we jump into what we should do, I think it's worth pointing out that the big blind has a stack of 136,000. So round about uh, 11 big blinds or an M value of roughly five. So we have got a much bigger stack than him. We are not quite the biggest at this table, but we're second. We're pretty much, you know, pretty much the same as the chip leader at this table. So we've got a nice big stack. So ace of spades, six of clubs. What are we going to do to this poor big blind here? Tang, what's the, what's the move? It's always going to be a raise. You're okay. raising almost everything. It's off suit. So you're not overly too worried if you get a fold either. There's no reason to be slow. You're certainly not strong enough to be so playing it. I think it is just a raise. I think it's not strong enough to min raise because you're not trying. You're, you're not got full value just yet. You know what I mean? There's a lot of flops out there that are, you're not sure where you stand. So just standard three times big blind, something like that. Depends how the table's been playing. At this stage, it, min but min raise could be the general it is. It definitely is, especially yeah. This late on, every you know, everyone's just min raising. Everyone's tightened sure. up. We're you know, we're still a couple of tables away from final table, but it is all getting a bit tight. So min raise was the kind of standard. Then so, I cert yeah, I certainly wouldn't free raise it three big blinds at that point then because uh, yeah, it's not going to achieve anything other than higher risk. So we do indeed min raise. And the big blind calls. Sure. So, Just as a quick one. Um, yeah. is that, again, this is a part of purposeful practice. What would you have done if you were free bet? Hmm. So I'd put in 24,000. For him to free bet, he would have to put in something like 70,000. He might be, he might have to jam to free bet there. I think he so. Would have, could it all? It almost be putting in half his stack to do a decent three bet on that. So if he'd have jammed, um, how many bluffs is he jamming with? I, I think he'd be bluffing with King King Jack, King Ten. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. There are sevens. I don't, if, I don't know if he would jam there as a bluff. He's got five M. It's not quite desperate enough to start. Right, I just desperately need to pick up this 24k that this guy's possibly semi-bluffing me with. I think villain here isn't short-stacked enough to make a desperate bluff jam. Um, I think he's he's basically, I'm saying his chip stack's a bit too big for that. He, he probably feels like he could even quite happily fold and just wait for a better spot. Well, if, you know. I mean, if in this situation, I know the stacks are getting pretty low and that does affect SPR significantly, ICM's a factor, but your your rate, your raising range in that position is massive, 40, yeah. 50%, I'd say, which yeah. means even his free betting range 
if it's 20%, he's got both position and strength advantage over you in that point. And that's a massive free betting range. Yeah. Now, does that make sense? So even though it's free bet shove, which probably reduces it down to 10, 15%, are you beating enough of it with your A6? I don't know. What would it, what does a 15% range look like? A 15% free bet jamming range? What what is that? I mean, it's if I is it all of the aces or is it just you know the better aces? If I remember rightly, it's somewhere around King Eight suited up, but only down to like King Jack off. Um, I can okay. quickly find out. And we're going to go straight up to 15%. So, I mean, this is just one app's interpretation of yeah. 15%. But, yeah, so it's down to ace-seven suited, king-nine suited, and then all the broadways, and only down to king-jack and queen-jack off. And then pocket pairs down to sevens and ace-ten off. Yeah, I feel like if he jammed, I might have had to have folded. I don't... I think I would have put, put him to be more likely ahead than behind. And it's a, it would be a lot, although it would probably make sense for him to jam as opposed to just bet sort of 60k or something. I would still, that would still be a massive chunk of my stack to put in, what, like a third of my stack there on A6 mm-hmm. when I'm probably behind. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be too happy about calling that. So you're, it's basically 60-40 for equity's sake and because it would have been a jam, and I agree it definitely would have been a jam from the big blind. So who, X 60-40 to who? Uh, to, to the big blind. So they've got massive range advantage as well as having just standard strength, 60% advantage. Yeah. So would you ever get in the pot odds for that? Mm. So what's that, three to two? Yeah, no, not quite. No, because I'd have to put in an extra 100k, 120k on top of the. I've only put in 24. I mean, that's, mm, I don't know. I uh, without, uh, at the moment, the pot is just shy of 60k, but that includes him calling your raise, your min yeah. raise. So, so that would come a, back out as well. So there'd be another 120 in there. So it'd be 100 and. 180k in the pot, and I would have to put in 120 to win it. It's it's probably borderline. I can't work it out. Quite like, quite a second, but that's probably quite borderline. Whether you should call that or not, like pot wise. So that's pretty for for them. That would be a fairly good move because they get a lot of fold equity as well in there. Yeah. So for them, not and then coming back to where we're at now. The fact they didn't jam in what is quite a profitable spot for jamming should mean that it very slightly caps their range. So it certainly gets rid of the best of their hands. They've certainly, certainly, certainly not got the aces, kings, queens, jacks, oh. ace, king. Can because because I, I'm, I'm not sure that's right. I was, I read this recently. It's well, if this guy's playing GTO, you should be jamming with. The not so great hands, ones that perform well if they are called, but the really good hands that are going to perform really well, you actually should possibly just see the flop with those. Do you see what I mean? They're actually it should be the ones that you want to use to get a fold that won't perform quite as well. Yeah. They're the ones that you should use to jam with to well, save to save the stronger hands in your range to perform well after the flop with. Yes, but I think you need to separate out the hands that will actually perform well post-flop. So given the, the stage of the tournament, the, their stack's actually quite low. They've only got an M of five. So the, the SPR, I mean, at the moment, their SPR is, what, two and a half. So they're almost pot committed anyway. Pulling in that position, sorry, so say um, if they had queens, for instance, a big part of your raising range is aces. Uh, not eight, look, not a pair of aces, sorry. So, you know, suited aces, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Which has a good, you know, queens don't actually perform post-flop very well because any ace or any king comes out and 
it's not a great position. So even though Queens are a premium, premium hand heads up blind be blind, mm. it's not a good hand to try to take post flop because okay. far too often you're not sure where you're at as soon as an overcard comes. And that's the same for Jacks and Tens as well. So they would definitely be jamming hands. Something like King Queen would be an excellent hand to just call. Um, and then aces. You, I think aces is you're completely right. Aces would be an excellent call in this position because it'll be quite well hidden as well. Because there'll yeah. be donks like me that insist that he hasn't got aces because he didn't free bet. Um, so yeah, no, I agree. So it's not it's Sorry, not tax range. I didn't mean to uh, um, interrupt you there, but I wouldn't have remembered it if I didn't jump in straight away. <laughs> no, folks. So, but that's but that is it really. It's trying to just work out have they capped their range. I think they've certainly taken out strong pocket pairs, okay. um, but not the aces, and not a lot of their suited aces and some of the other stuff. Some of their some of their Broadway. So like King Queen, King Jack would be. It's got a lot of blocker value as well. So it's yeah, also okay. another really good hand. Cool. All okay. Righty. Cool. It's interesting. Okay. Um so yeah, like I say, so we've 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 raised pre flop on small blind, big blind's called. We there's sixty K now in the pot or just under sixty K. The flop comes ace of clubs, two of spades, eight of diamonds. So not really connected in terms of any straights. You can't imagine him well, I don't imagine him to have too many three, four, three, five, four, five combinations. Um, so I'm lo- I'm loving this flop. I mean, we've now hit top pair with our a six, haven't we? So what to do? We've we've we're the aggressive pre-flop. We're out of position. The action is now on us. What are we what are we doing on this flop? I I'm looking at that, and it is a bit too static for me. Because it's not connected, because it's rainbow, I would be inclined to check because I have. What well, is this? This what would be our? What would be the better hands we're folding with a raise, or more likely, what hands are we getting value out of? So, King A is if if he's playing King A and you bet, is he calling? Yeah, I think so. I think he'd call a C bet at least to to see what happens on the turn. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, the significant thing is that his SPR is, uh, I said it was three, it's not, it's two. His his SPR is two. So either we jam it because we think we've got best value and he'll call it with almost anything, or he's only going to call it with a better ace, at which point tread very, very cautiously if we feel that there were many better aces in his range. And I don't think there are. I think most of them aces he's he's just going to jam pre. So ace jack, ace queen, ace king. I, w- I I just can't imagine he'd slow playing them significantly. It's not shit. He, he'd get enough calls from you, from who's already showed strength and raised, that that's not a bad outcome. And even if you folded, picking up your bet and the blind, um, well, no, it's just your bet, and getting his blind back is actually significant to his stack. So that even even if you've got ace king suited and he wanted a bit better action, that's still a desirable outcome. That's still a significant part of his part of his uh, stack. So do it. You, you again just jam. You would try. It's, it's your best chance to not have to worry about anything post flop if it's if your stack to pot ratio means that you're going to be all in anyway. Why why add in some elements of that and negative and the possibility of not realising your equity. What, so him, what we're saying the villain should jam. Should the villain, yeah, the villain should have jammed most of the hands that would be beating you right now. So if he had a pair of eights, he really should have jammed pre-flop, in my opinion. If he had ace-jack, ace-queen, ace-king, he should have jammed pre-flop. Fair enough. I see what you're saying, yeah. So so you don't feel like he's got a better ace now. And, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, there are a few aces he might have that are better than yours. There's also some other combos that he might have. King eight, he might be playing some decent suited Broadway that's got kind of a couple of back doors. Pretty yeah. low probability, but they're they're still there. Um, but then there's a lot of hands that you wouldn't mind keeping in that he would also fold. 
you kind of don't want to get rid of some of his junk because it was I think betting here would put would get rid of enough of his junk that you you do start getting into a position of or what if he was just passively playing ace 10 what yeah, if he was playing yeah. a pair of twos that kind of so we were saying we don't we don't want because our hand is it's pretty good but it's not it's not like a premium it's a six so what we don't want to do is raise here or sorry bet here and start folding out too many of the weaker hands because then we're going to be left against a much stronger range and our a six is good but it's not brilliant so yeah is that kind of what you're saying yeah so at the moment your range is massive still mm. so even if you check considering you were the pre-flop better that does well you've got check raises and given the spr the check raise is pretty strong so i reckon even a check doesn't change the fact that your range is massive yeah in this position and a, a lot of his bluffs might also be good even if he gets called so if he you know makes a bluff with king queen he'll get enough folds that make it profitable and the times that he gets called he's still got a lot of outs or still got a lot of equity in the pot so yeah i think a check is right because i think a bet in this position is would you be betting bluffs that's the only other mm, the only thing that's tickling my mind is that would you be c betting bluffs most of the time in this position if you've just should you be betting that board because because it's got an ace on it maybe yeah possibly it possibly considering i feel like we probably want to get some chips in the pot right we've got top pair we've we've probably got the best of this hand yeah i I think i think we we probably want to get some chips in the pot and and c betting when you're the pre-flop aggressor because there's an ace on the board doesn't get tons of folds um, even when someone's not got an ace, you know, like someone with like King Eight, like you say, would potentially call that. So maybe it sh- maybe it should have been a bet, just because it would have a lot of hands would have continued anyway, knowing that a lot of people just see bet, you know, post flop as the pre flop aggressor with with an ace on the board. Yeah, I think his stack's too low. I think that. He can't call speculatively yeah, in this yeah, position. So even though I don't put him on any decent aces, and I, the fact you've got an ace means there's only two out there as well, I think that you do want value for this hand. It's thin value, but I think you got it, because if a card comes out that he's going to improve with, I don't think it will improve it to better than what you've got. You know, if a king comes out, that's actually probably one of the best results you can have. Maybe a queen comes out, jack comes out. Yeah. And then you get a better value. And if it turns out he had ace jack or ace queen, then all right, so be it. Okay. All right. Well, look, we do indeed check. But then the villain checks behind. And we go to a turn. So the turn comes the seven of spades. So the board at the moment is ace of clubs, two of spades eight of diamonds, seven of spades. So there's now two spades on the board. We're holding ace of spades, six of clubs. So we've still got that top pair. Is this the time to bet or do we want to check again? Yeah, I would bet in this position where the seven weren't an overly scary card. It didn't do an awful lot. If you were ahead, you're probably still ahead. And if you were behind, the seven didn't change that anyway. It might have now given him a spade draw, which is probably the best position you can be in, because it means it might mean that he's much more likely. Say he's got a spade draw and the eight. Um, so he's got two spades. He's got the eight of spades and something else he's now going to be a lot more inclined to call, even though you've got the ace of spades. So you know that he's, he'd never be drawing to the nuts. Um, the, he, you, I think he's now got a lot more calling hands to getting his getting the rest of his chips in, in a position that might not be 
the best for him. So, it yeah, it makes it a bit more interesting. Okay. So I think I was thinking here, he did, if he's checked the flop, he's probably not got much, any of it. He's got a huge range because he's, you know, it's a big blind defending range, a big blind defending against against the, uh, against the small blind open. So it kind of feels like he may have hit the seven, he may have had the eight. His range is so big, I just felt like let's check it and let this guy start bluffing at the pot. Was my was my hope. So that is what I do. I do check and to my delight, the villain does bet around half pot at twenty nine thousand. Okay, so I mean, I feel like this is a definite call here. If he was slow playing a, a better ace, we don't want to go too crazy. Although it's likely he's going to get it all in on the river anyway, considering the, he'll have less than a pot size bet left. Mm, so it kind of feels like all the chips are probably going in anyway. Um, if he jams on the river... I don't feel amazing about my A6, but I would feel happy enough to call knowing that I've kind of allowed him to bluff and that we've kept his range as large as possible by not betting into him, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. Um, yeah, I agree with your reasoning and I like that it's getting them to commit chips. The bet sizing, I think, is quite attractive. Because if I had a monster, I wouldn't bet half pot to get mm, value. Tomorrow, um, yeah, exactly. If I've got either thin value or this is an outright bluff because it's the only opportunity I've got to win the hand with maybe, I don't know, a gut shot or something in there. You know, he's playing Jack 10. So he's got a gut shot possibly, but half, half, half pot is big enough percentage of the pot that you're going to fold complete air, but doesn't commit enough of their stick stack that they're if you if you if you if they get re-raised here, it's a fold. That's what that says to me. I I'd be I could be wrong, but I'd be betting a lot smaller if I'd just hit a set of sevens, for instance. Mm. I'd be looking for all them moderate aces to come for a ride. Yeah. Especially definitely. as you've especially as you've gone check, check, check. So they must now feel empowered to take this part. So I think you're right. I think they've got a lot of bluffs that they do this with because of the check, check, check. And the bet sizing to me isn't isn't correct. I mean, yeah, if he had, I, if he, I like if that. He, I, I like your take on the bet sizing there. It, it, it is a bit telling. It just feels too big to be a please, you know, please call me kind of bet. This this is like. Hopefully they'll go away if I bet half pot. <laughs> you know, he's just watched us check the flop and the turn. He's thinking, I need to bet big enough to get rid of this guy. It's the size where, you know, you go, like you say, you go to a bit smaller than that and he's going to be worried about me actually calling and, and then he's in the whole world of pain if he's bluffing. So this is a little bit of a, feels a bit bluffy, which is great, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to keep all his bluffs in and he's now done a bet that kind of looks a bit like a bluff. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so we flat call and go to a river with 117k in the pot. We have still 340k in our stack, and the big blind, the villain, has just 94k, so less less than a pot size bet. And the river comes the two of diamonds, so none of no straights got there. There's no flush that got there. But the the lowest card now that was on the flop, the two, has now paired on the board, on the river. Is this, is this a cause for concern? No, not for me. I don't think um, eight twos in his range. I don't think king two, queen two. I, 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 I think there were very, very few twos that were in his hand anyway. Yeah, okay. And all of the other hands would have been beating you without that other two, regardless. So, so that 
that two's essentially a brick. Um, and would he, because he, it, yeah, he would have either been playing a set or two pair anyway. And if you had a pair of twos and your opponents check him, and would you go betting half pot on the turn? You'd probably think I've got some showdown value here. Let's just see a showdown. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I'm not sure he would be betting, a, you know, a holding of a pair of twos. Yeah, it's a really unusual turn, situation. Like, the half pot is is just wrong, where if it had jammed, he'd be doing that with his best bluffs, but also his strongest hands, because his stack to pot ratio is tiny, so he, a, a jam's a reasonable thing to do there. And a quarter pot would, would almost be telling you exactly the same thing. You know, even though my stack to pot ratio is tiny, I don't want to push you out. Please come along for the ride. I need as much value as I can get here. So they, so it's the even though betting more in you know, counterintuitively shows greater weakness. Um, but it certainly isn't as weak as a two. So yeah, yeah I, I don't apart from promoting his hand to possibly two pair, but it's done that for you as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, then. So with that in mind, we, we don't think he's, he's suddenly ahead of us here. He He's still potentially slow playing, a, you know, a better ace. Or even, you know, he could have held ace eight and he's and has slow played that. That is a possibility, but it's just one hand in many. We've got all those bluffs still in his range. I kind of, kind of like in my hand here, I kind of feel like, We've got the best of this. You know, if he suddenly jammed, I'm still happy to to call this off. Do we bet the action's on us? We're sitting there with our top pair. Is this time to bet and get some extra value if he is holding an eight or hit a seven on the turn? Would he have bet if he had if he was holding an eight or hit a seven on the ter- turn, would he have bet half pot on the turn? It's the same situation where if you've got showdown value, but not a super strong hand, you're probably not going to be betting half pot on the turn. You're probably just going to check it down and, and see what you've won, though. Yeah, completely. Especially as you're in position, so you can control the pot. Why why inflate the pot by half with a mediocre hand? Like you've you, what have you what have you achieved other than almost committing yourself to the pot now? Yeah, so we, so if, you are, if you have got king eight, or say say you got a pair of jacks, what have, what have you done? Like you've just made the plot nice and big, and you've got you don't have a clue where you are still, because yeah. any 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 ace would have called you. So yeah, well to me, I don't think you know he's probably jamming with with jacks and things like that pre-flop anyway. Yeah, I agree. It feels, it feels like he can't have hit any of this and. It feels like because of that, if we bet, he's just going to fold. But we want to get max value, obviously. So to me, it feels like as with with the turn, we need to check this and hope he has one more stab at it with a bluff. Yeah, completely agree. I'd say apart from an absolutely tiny bet, even now, I just don't think he's. I think his SPR is so so low. Yeah, you just can't give him any reason anything. to fold. Yeah, he's once folded, we look, he's folding anything, we've got. I think we've got to check this. We've got to let him have a another go at the pot with his complete air. Yeah, no, completely agree. Okay, so, so we, we do, do check, and the villain fires not quite half his stack, but a big chunk. Villain fires thirty eight k into the 117k pot so approximately one third pot on the river now this you know if you were suddenly to come into this hand and see that pot that that bet you would maybe be thinking oh you know in isolation that looks a little bit like a, a value bet on the end there from the villain but considering how we've analyzed this and what we think he's could possibly have here this just looks like a terrible bluff. A bluff, a decent bluff here would have been a jam. And as we've decided, we're, we're probably calling that anyway. But if he did want us to go away, he would have had to put all of his chips in. 38k, third pot bet. You know, he surely he he can't be thinking we're folding. 
because we suddenly think he's got such a strong hand that this is a value bet. You know, what did he think we called a half pot bet with on the turn? And if he, if he thought we had an eight, right, and we've got a pair of eights, so on the turn we've called because we've got showdown value. Is he really going to get rid of us with a 38k bet into 117k? We, you know, he must know we're calling that all day long. I cannot understand this this bet sizing at all, unless he's got an absolute super strength hand and we're just mugs. <laughs> and he's just well, he's just had us on all the way. I don't know. Look, there's there's just too few value hands in his range, really. Yeah. So the very best hands at the moment on that board, other than you know a pair of twos, which we just disregard because it's easy to. Um, the very best hands he would have pre bet jammed with. So we've got rid of ace king, ace queen, ace jack, and that includes off probably ace ten. I mean maybe not ace ten off, but ace ten suited. I'd I'd say he should be jamming. He should be jamming with like king queen suited as well. But I can very much understand why he would just check. What are you talking about? Pre-flop. Pre-flop. So pre-flop, he got rid of most of his good hands. So if we assume that only the solid Broadway and aces were in his range, then his turn bet didn't make sense. Like so, if he's got king queen, king jack, anything like that, well, that that's not winning, so that's not a problem. If he's got very strong aces or a pair of aces, then the half size pot bet is silly. That don't make any sense. That's a that weren't for value. Why would you have done that? Why wouldn't you have jammed? You know what I mean? That was your best chance to get all your chips in as well as make it look like you've gone all out for a bluff, give you a difficult decision. I wonder so, if he's got a couple of spades. If imagine if he's got a couple of spades, you wouldn't want to do anything with that on the flop but you might you know after seeing a check in front of you on the turn you might decide you know what I could take this down and I've got I've got some equity here I've got a chance of of hitting my flush if I am called I wonder if it was a semi-bluff on the on the turn and now it's just an out and out bluff on the river because he missed it could be a couple of space it could be a couple of space but either well either way if this is a bluff, it's it's a pretty bad one. Yeah, I, do, I can't see enough hands that would take this bet in line. Like, this is a smaller bet than the last street, like, which normally shows weakness because the pot is now bigger. So a hand that was good enough to call, what was it, 50-odd thousand on the last street? Or what was his last? I can't remember what his last no, street I bet think, was. I think the last bet was... Um, thirty thousand because it was about half pot and the pot was sixty k. So right, this is gotcha. this is slightly more, but proportion to the pot it's smaller. Exactly that, about yeah. bet size in terms of proportion to spot. Then yeah, it's a smaller bet in proportion to the pot. And that that is pure weakness because other than the draws, so he he must only be putting you on a draw and nothing else because mm-hmm. there is no and. Which isn't value, you, you know what I mean? If, if that's the only thing that you're beating, if that's the, the bluff range that you're trying to get value out of, then you're losing. Then he, he would be losing to that kind of betting line because, you yeah, it's I, I can't put him on anything. I can't put him on a, a good there's enough a, value. There's a couple of hands, actually, I could put him on, but it's very very small number of combinations considering the size of his range. I think he could have ace two. Yeah, um, that's a potential would, would play like this. Ace eight is another potential one. Um, but you might have jammed that pre. So, yeah, there's, I think there's a couple of hands like that. But there's like 95 percent of his range is, is. From what yeah. I can see, just out a complete air. Yeah, again, like. I'm still struggling to see two pair on that on that flop that doesn't bet or that then bets half pot because well, he might have thought he might have thought 
damn, like, I've just hit two pounds. I'm an absolute monster. But this guy's checked in front of me. If I bet, maybe he was just scared we were going to fold on the flop. And this is a bit monsters under the bed now. I don't know if it's even worth entertaining a conversation on it because, frankly, if he's got ace two or ace eight, then, like, good luck to him. You know, he's, he's hit, a, you know, one in 50 chance of of hitting a, a two pair on, on a flop. Um, yeah, I think this is just a call all day long. He's probably got a bluff. There's a slim chance he's got two pair. But nothing to even really concern us about. Yeah. The only thing I'd say then is, would jamming at this point only be called by a hand you're losing to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe would King A... Maybe if he's played King Eight really badly, if he doesn't understand that he's got a condensed range and that he that he's you know when he's got the King Eight he should be probably checking this down because um, we're letting him and that's that'd be our mistake. So he, he but there's a chance obviously he's got King Eight and he's just thinking I, I've got King Eight and I, I could be ahead here so I'll get some some value. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's even not a mistake. It feels like a mistake to be betting King Eight when there's an ace on the board. And but maybe I don't know. Maybe this is what they call thin value. And if he's got King Eight, it, it's a good bet considering we check the flop and check the turn. Yeah. Don't know. I mean, the only thing that I'm at now is does he have any bluff catchers that you beat? Obviously, you'd beat. That given the remaining bet is fifty-seven thousand into a um, well, if you add the thirty-eight thousand on top of that, so yeah, fifty-seven thousand into sank that's not too not too shy of two hundred grand. No, no, because the one five five includes his thirty-eight. Yeah, yeah, but you'd have to call that and then raise it another fifty-seven on top. Oh, I so see. if yeah, if you yeah. called his thirty-eight, it puts it very near two hundred k. Yeah. And then 57 to push him all in. Do even his bluff catchers, have, bluff catchers have to call? And what would be a bluff catcher in that position? Like, I would say a pair of nines wouldn't be a bad bluff catcher. Um, I, can't, I don't know. Would if, but again, again, it would be such a mistake for him to be betting the term of a pair of nines, I would say. Would it could just be, just be a term. find out where you are. He's trying a pro bet without yeah. consideration. Yeah, could be. Could be that he's betting his pair is uh could be betting a draw if we forget the nine and put him on something else jack 10 betting with a gut shot but then that wouldn't be a bluff catcher so i don't know cool i, I mean i think we're right that a bet a, a, there's just not enough hands that are calling a shove that we're 100 beating mm. and there are some hands which Albeit if he has played badly, there are some hands that are going to be demolishing us. I don't think there's enough extra value. Just yeah, I think I feel like it's it's marginal. With all this time we've had to analyse the hand, it, a jam possibly is a good move considering there's probably more bluff catches in his range or badly played eights and sevens in his range than there are bluffs that are going to end up folding uh sorry uh, strong hands that are going to end up beating us so it it could be actually marginal that actually yeah, we should jam here and a few times that he's actually got a you know a really strong hand and he's got us crushed yeah far smaller than the amount of times he's going to bluff catch and we get that extra 56k so possibly um but i don't mind a call here i think it's a sensible just we're probably we're more than likely ahead here. Let's just call it down. Let's just call it and uh, collect the chips. Yeah, no, I'd agree. So Hero does make the call. So for a final pot of 193k, villain flips over complete air. King rubbish. King three offsuit. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, we called it. Uh, you know, absolutely nothing there. Um, we had the three, we had the back door straight, if you can even call it that. Uh, even worse yeah. than I thought. 
pretty bad. I mean, it's complete air. He's literally stabbing. I think we we worked it out on the turn. Um, I think your your uh, thought there on the bet sizing was really telling. The turn bet, he bet half pot. You know, if he had a really strong hand, he wouldn't bet so quite so big. He'd be trying to rope us in, you know, with, with our raggy aces. So, yeah, I think it's um, it was telling on the turn and we just we just worked it out, didn't we? We just knew we knew he, he really was unlikely to have anything there. Yeah. Could he have could he have could he have called off the, for his tournament life with King High? Probably not. No, I probably agree. He might, he might have done, but I think the only time we're going to get him bluff catching would be if he if he played an eight or a seven badly and and started betting it on the turn when he probably should have checked. But he didn't do that. He was betting with complete air. Fair enough. You know, he's trying to take the pot away. Um, I think his his bet size was too big on the turn. That was telling. And then on the river, it was just too small for us to even consider folding. Yeah, basically, given these betting patterns and how they're not really fitting into any of the value hands that he's hoping to claim to have, they're also the type of player that don't understand the best times to bluff catch and that sometimes King High is a great bluff catcher. Yeah. And also to work out that this probably wasn't that position. So I, I think we're right in that pretty much 100% of the time he would be folding in that position anyway. So there was no extra value. Plus it helps to, helps to, he did call it. So we've got, um, got a showdown to talk about. <laughs> Are you, is that a sly dig at all the times that we've gone through a hand for an hour and then it doesn't show down? <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't deal with, it's just, I need, I need closure. No, I, 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 I have to start writing letters to these players, begging them to tell me what they had. What did you have? Please tell me. Yeah, I keep thinking, like as far as I'm aware, ignition poker isn't available in the UK, and I would love to have a version of that. And it might be there is out there, but I haven't found it. Where do you know ignition? Everyone's anonymous, so you can't track players. And because everyone's anonymous, I think after a week you get to see everyone's whole cards. Oh, all right, that's amazing. I'm, I've, I think. After got, a week, I love probably, that. I mean, when you just really need to know, and it's like oh, I need to wait a week now. Yeah. It could be that there's people in America shouting at us, telling me I'm a dick and I've got that completely wrong. I don't I don't know. I've, we can't we don't get ignition from as far as I'm aware. So right. this is all hearsay and yeah. speculation. But that would be excellent. I'd I'd absolutely love it if I could see that. Well people pay, you know, at the table people pay money to see people be told what their cards were, don't they? You know, I'll give you fifty 50 quid if you tell me what you, what you had. <laughs> you yeah. know, people get desperate. Um, Just for closure. That's yeah. me. Oh, cool. Don't give me any money. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, no, it was good hands. Yeah. Yeah. Nice a, few, a few bits that I thought were really good. The bet size and saying I really need to pay. As much as I talk about it when we're doing reviews, it's because I've taken my time. It's really easy to see. I've been able to take, you know, work out. SPRs and where your value is coming from, where your bluffs are coming from, and what you're trying to achieve with them. And I need to just practice that so that it's automatic. I can do it really, I can do it when we're doing it at leisure and taking our time. And if I want to waffle for 20 minutes before saying clicks, I can. But I want to, I want to do that in eight seconds yeah. before I get beeped at. Yeah, cool. Okay, mate. Well, always a pleasure, Tane. And um, yeah, yeah quality, thanks, for, thanks for um, the prompting for us to get some goals um, in in the uh, on the cards. Forgive the pun. So I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna start working on mine uh, this week. So maybe we'll have something to start constructing together in a way of a a routine pre pre routine or whatever for next week. Yeah, and I'm gonna keep on with the uh, purposeful practice, and I'm gonna continue to cite. Patricia Cardner and Gareth James is stealing all their ideas, basically. Although some of them is them stealing others' ideas who steal someone else's ideas. Yeah. That's, it's kind of what psychology is. It's, here's no, no. a study, here's something that works, and then everyone pilfers it and yeah, puts it together in the best possible way. So, yeah, purposeful study, man. It's quality. Love it. Okay, well, look, thanks to the listeners as well, if you've been listening in. 
We hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you again soon. Awesome. Take it easy. Cheers, everyone.